0: Good morning, Church. I was actually unsure whether it was my turn to come up or not. If you didn't notice, I came up on the stage a little early, and I walked back off to the side in shame because (laughs) I got a little excited. (laughs) And I am excited this morning to be with you here in Glendale. We come, me and my wife, come all the way from San Gabriel, far, far away. And that was my wife singing on that song earlier. She is awesome. Yes, brothers, it is possible for you to marry an amazing woman. Just saying. So, while uh, Dave gets me set up over there on the projector, just a little bit about ourselves. Erica and I uh, serve in the awesome team ministry. And it's just been awesome uh, coming back from camp, seeing all these kids studying the Bible. And Dallas was the first of many, I'm sure, to be able to make that decision. Are we? Yes, we are up. Okay, so... I'm going to have a little fun because Reese isn't here. This is just between us, okay? All right, so um, one thing that I've actually really wanted to do, and I got to do this in San Gabriel a few weeks back, but one thing that I've always wanted to do while I'm up here on stage, I'm sure you guys have thought of that. Like when, when you see people up on stage, you're like, I would love to do something up there. And so one of the things that I've always wanted to do is to be a game show host. And if the... There it goes. Okay, so actually what we're going to do, because I'm waiting for the audio to be cued. No audio? The audio, like, completes the effect. I just... How many of you guys know the show The Price is Right? Yeah. All right, okay, okay. So hopefully the audio is cued. If not, you can just hum the song in your head. Da-da-da-da, <laughs> da-da-da-da. No? Okay, alright. Okay, so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna put up a few pictures up here and I'm just gonna ask that you guys give me what you think the price is, okay? So, f- up first. We have Glace Luxury Ice. Now this the proprietary manufacturing process creates a zero taste profile ice, which allows consumers to maximize their beverage experience. Their elegant design provided minimum dilution and maximum cooling, greatly enhancing enjoyment at the point of consumption. So for a bag of 50 luxury ice spheres, can I hear some prices? Fifty dollars. Seventy-five. Twenty-five. There it goes. Yes. Alright. Fifteen. Four ninety-nine. What? One dollar. Okay, and the price is three hundred and twenty-five dollars. I am sorry the price your price was not right. Alright, next up. The item actually is not the puppy. (laughs) The item is a Swarovski crystal bathtub for the puppy. So, before I start hearing your bids, pamper your precious pet from head to paw in a bathtub fit for a prince or princess. Each rose-pink Swarovski crystal was affixed by hand to the side of this 19th century-style foot-claw Bathtub. The entire process takes countless hours and includes 46,928 imported crystals. Can I hear a price? 3,000? 1,000? 2,000? 10,000? Oh, 10,000? 250? $1 million! What? 10,000 and That's strategic. And the price is $39,000! This is fun, right? You guys don't normally get this. I'm enjoying this just as much as you are, I hope. Just a few more items. Okay, so this is a Gold Genie 24 karat plated bicycle. Now, the specialist at Gold Genie meticulously applied a lustrous 24 karat gold layer to the entire structure, from the tip of the handlebar to the wheel stays and every other part in between, including every ridge of every gear chain. The gleaming gold model is offset with sophisticated accents in black in the limited edition soft San Marco suede saddle and S4, SR4 racing tires. What's your opening bid? One million dollars. Sorry? Ten thousand. Five cents? Come on. Don't ever go on the prices right. One million dollars. Okay, so I'm hearing a million. Fifteen. Four hundred and seventy thousand three hundred forty-five. Now I don't know if you can tell, but there's actually diamond studding around the wheels. If you want to get, those are optional. If you want to get those off, it's a little cheaper at 399,000, just saying. This is the Aurora Diamante fountain pen. This elite pen is encrusted with over 30 carats of De Beers diamonds on a solid platinum barrel two-tone rhodium treated 18 karat solid gold nib and it can be personalized with a coat of arms a signature or a portrait only one of these is ever made every year opening bids 750,000 2 million 500,000 50,000 It is 1.4 million dollars. And finally, the last item, the last item to be bid upon. This is a Jackson Pollock painting number five. Using his entire body to paint in a method called action painting, Pollock dripped and splattered layer upon layer of paint to create his exotic patterns opening bids 10 million 200 million 300,000 3.5 million 800 million 100 100 million it actually sold that auction for 140 million dollars that yeah that sold for 140 million dollars <laughs> all right so, so actually, believe it or not, this this does have something to do with my lesson. I'm just not just having fun. Uh, so the title of the lesson this morning, if I can get to show up there, is lukewarm and loving it. Now, of all the things that we saw on on the auction block, how many of those things are are things that you guys need? <laughs> if any of you raise your hands, I would be a little concerned. Those things now would you would you agree with me that that as Americans we have a lot of money we have in general we have a lot of money we we sometimes have too much money to where we need to spend $39,000 on a bathtub for your dog <laughs> we spend a lot of money how many of you guys spent money this morning you guys bought a coffee this morning on the way to church have you guys spent more than $2 this morning so those of you guys who spent $2 this morning, you spent more money than about half of the world's population makes in a day. Think about that for a second. So, so according, according to, to the UN, UN's website, un.org, about half of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. Now, if you think about that uh, in, in comparison to here in California, minimum wage is supposed to go up to $10 an hour starting January, I believe. So in comparison, let's do that. So it's two dollars a day. That comes out to about 25 cents an hour. All right. So how many of you guys want two quarters? This is two hours of work right here. I'm balling, right? Like a... this is one hour's worth of work. In half of the world, this is what you make working for one hour. I probably couldn't. If you know, when we have kids, I can't tempt them with if you clean your room. You'll be the envy of all your classmates. (laughs) Compare that to $10 an hour, that's $80 a day. That's $20,800 a year. Compared to $2 a day, which is $520 a year. Guys, we are rich. And I know we complain. I know college students, we live off Top Ramen. We live off of hot dogs, spaghetti, like whatever we can get to get by. You know, and and comparatively, we can decide, you know what, I'm not that rich. I only make this much an hour. I have a lot of stuff that, you know, I want and I can't afford. Or, you know what, we have to go into debt because I can't pay for the things I need to pay for. But by comparison, we are very rich. We throw away food. We throw away things that just because, you know what, there's a new model out. How many of you guys have seen all the ads for the new iPhones? Yes. I'm buying one. I'm just saying. <laughs> Full disclosure and being open with all of you, I am, I am going to get a new iPhone. I, I did wait two years though, so it's not as bad. Don't judge me. <laughs> but we have this desire, right? For everything new. Everything that comes out. We have to have the latest and greatest. And it's because we have the money to spend for it. And you would think that, that having money is a great advantage. Which it is, right? We can spend it on, on clothes, on food, on housing. We spend it on things we need. So you would think that the more money you have, the better off you are. Right? Very tentative agreement. You're like, where is he going with this? <clears throat> Which is true, to a degree. But the interesting thing is that God says, it actually is a huge, huge disadvantage. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> we start reading in verse 18. And this is the story of the rich young ruler. The Bible reads, A certain ruler asked him, or Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is the million dollar question. If you had one question to ask Jesus, this would probably be the best one. I mean, if you ask Jesus... What was up with the platypus? You know, why why are all vegetables bad tasting? If it was so good for us, why like those are good questions to ask, and maybe eventually when you get to heaven you can ask those things. But if you had one question to ask Jesus, this would be it. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered, No one why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy. So this guy is already on track. He's like God, like everything Jesus, everything you said, I did. I've been, I'm good then, right? When Jesus heard this, he said to him, "You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have." And give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad. Because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, well, <laughs> Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. So this man had good intentions, right? You would agree with me. He went to Jesus and he wanted to go to heaven. That's a good thing. Dallas wanted to go to heaven. That's a good thing. He recommends it. But Jesus' response is, it is hard. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But why? I mean, if if we all just agreed earlier that we are all rich, well then who can be saved? Jesus says, with God it is possible. The interesting thing is, um, and I actually didn't really realize this until I I started studying uh, this text for this sermon. Um, Is if you read, actually in the next chapter over, literally next chapter over, in Luke chapter 19. It's a similar story, but a different outcome. So in Luke chapter 19, you guys can go ahead and, well you're probably there already, it's right, right next to it. In Luke chapter 19, verse 1. The Bible reads, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. For those of you expecting babies, good name. (laughs) He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So same as the, the rich young ruler, they were both wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Same as the rich young ruler. But because he was short, well, I don't know if that's the same, but you know. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, "Today salvation has come to this house. Today salvation has come to this house. Today a rich man has entered the kingdom of God, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man." came to seek and to save what was lost. And so here you see a similar scenario where a wealthy man who wants to know Jesus, who wants to know what to do, is confronted with a choice. The difference was Zacchaeus' perspective. And I didn't want to to come here this morning and make you think that I'm here to talk about money. I'm not. What I'm here to talk about is is what's your perspective on things? You know, we saw all these ridiculous things up there on the screen, and uh, they really have no value. They have the dollar amount posted on there. There's a sticker, there's a tag that says, well, this is worth $39,000. This is worth $1.4 million. This is worth $140 million. But in the end of the day, value changes. If you were starving and someone handed you that Jackson Pollock painting worth $140 million instead of a sandwich, it wouldn't be worth very much to you. It's because we assign value to things. And Jesus says, it's hard, it's so hard for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of God because they see all these things that are in their life that that the world says, this is the value. And you too can have it. But to Zacchaeus, all that didn't matter. He had all the money. And he said, look, look, right here, right now, I give all that away. It doesn't matter to me. This this half of what I own, it's nothing. It's nothing. I get to be with Jesus. Jesus is infinitely more valuable. Zacchaeus understood. Because see, the thing is that, that, you know, you heard that saying, money does weird things to people. You guys always hear in the news about what happens to those guys that win the lottery and, you know, just weird stuff happens. But the interesting thing is we never reflect back on us and say, well, well, money does weird things to me. Have you ever thought about that? That when we have money, it does weird things. For one, money provides this, this kind of sense of comfort. The sense of, of security. Right? Like, if I have money, I'm okay. Like, if we have if we have money put away in our savings account, we're good. Like, if whatever life throws our way, we can handle it. But the interesting thing is, it's a false sense of security. Um, after Eric and I got married, I was really excited because I landed uh, probably the the biggest job in my career. And it's you know by comparison to most people, it's not that big of a deal. But I was making twenty dollars an hour. And I was really excited because I was like, this is my real like my first real job. Like out of college, I'm working for a health insurance brokerage company. It's awesome. I'm making money. And so anytime like we got married, Erica's like, Oh, I want to buy this for the house. I'm like, go for it. You want to eat out? Let's do that. Order the appetizer, order dessert, it's fine. We have money. (laughs) For the first time since college, I have money. I bought a new car. I was like, Yes! (laughs) I was so excited. I felt like, you know what? I've arrived. Things are gonna be great. Three months in I got fired. (laughs) And all of a sudden all that security that I thought I had, all that comfort, all that, you know what? I'm good It's pulled out from underneath me I started to cycle into depression, started to feel like I can't provide for my wife, I'm a terrible husband. This, this was like five months into our marriage. <laughs> I just remember feeling like, what happened? All that, that security, all that comfort's gone. And people started saying that, that, that phrase that I know you guys have all heard at one point. Well, this, this is a chance for you to rely on God. And it wasn't until I heard that, until after I lost that job, that I realized, you know, it's true. When I had the job, I didn't rely on God. I didn't need to. I had money. I didn't need to pray, God, I hope that I have food today for Erica and myself. I didn't need to pray that. We had money to go out and eat. We had money to buy groceries. It was fine. I didn't need to pray, God, Like I hope that the car makes it through another week. Because I can't pay for repairs. Because I could. I had money. I, I ran over a nail and like I blew the sidewall of my tire. So I had to buy a whole new tire. And I was fine. We had money put away. But then all of a sudden, all that money is gone. There's no more security. And I'm suddenly faced with the fact that I need God. And see, that's why it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Because we have this false sense of security. We don't feel like we don't need to rely on God. We need just enough God. Just enough so that, that we can feel okay about ourselves. But just enough. Like, I don't want any more than that. The interesting thing is in Revelation chapter 3, um, if you guys have read this before, Revelation chapter 3 uh, is a revelation of John. He's, he's writing to all these churches. God tells him, Hey, John, I need you to write these letters. And so he writes a letter to the church in Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 14. You guys still with me? It got really heavy real quick, I know. I went from like, da-da-da-da, to like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> It gets better, trust me. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible reads, to the, church, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I did a little research here, and Laodicea was actually the wealthiest city in Phrygia during the Roman times. It was in a key location and was a busy trade route. And it became one of the most important and flourishing commercial sites in Asia Minor. It was actually one of the cities where they did most of the uh, heavy financial transactions, so you would take all your money there if you wanted to do like make a business deal and you do it in Laodicea so Laodicea was very wealthy and the scary thing is the scripture sounds a lot like us where we have money we are prosperous we're wealthy and most of all we struggle with being lukewarm and I know if you've been at this church any point, you know, any length of time, you've heard the scripture before. You've heard, oh yeah, lukewarm, like you'd rather be one or the other. But I read it in preparing for this lesson, and it was interesting because I feel like I finally discovered what the scripture actually means. It means if you're lukewarm, God's going to spit you out of his mouth. <laughs> like Marty says, it, it takes a theologian to misunderstand the scripture. It's very plain, very straightforward. But I thought about it for a little bit and I was like, well being lukewarm makes God sick, like to the point of like being violently ill. And I was like, Well that's a little extreme, God. I mean like I mean I'm sure there are other things that, that cold people can do that are like way worse. And so I was wondering like, well God, why why is lukewarm such a big deal? I mean at least I'm doing something. I have another picture actually. A little more prices, right? Can you tell me the value of that? See, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that that being lukewarm makes God sick, because we look at this, we look at Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And we say, you know what, God, it's just not valuable enough to me. It's not worth it. All the stuff I have in the world, it's more important. I can't give that up. Like I know Jesus died on the cross. That's great. That's you know awesome. I get to be in heaven with you. We're we're buddies. But it's not enough for me to give up what I have. And not just money wise. But I can't I can't forgive that person. You don't know what they did to me, God. That's not, it's not good enough. You know what? Serving is really hard. And I have a family and I have all these things I got to take care of. So I can't, I I know that, that they need help taking care of the church and setting up stuff and volunteering for things. But I don't have time. My time is too valuable, God. I can't, it's not worth it. And the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. Why being lukewarm makes God sick when even the thought of us saying, you know what God, I don't know if it's worth it. Makes God say, you know what, I can't. <laughs> I can't. You're telling me that my son's death on the cross is not worth it to you. I can't, I can't even handle this. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because it's not. You don't see what I'm trying to offer you. You don't see that, that everything on this world that you value so much. I created... I can make more. I can give you so much more than that house, that car, that relationship. I can give you everything. But you're clinging on to this tiny little thing, saying, "God, I can't. I can't let it go." In verse three, uh, verse seventeen, he continues saying, "You say I'm rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing." But you do not realize that you are wretched. Pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, we deceive ourselves thinking we have everything. We don't need anything. You know, God, I don't need to live a life that is hot for you because I have what I need. I don't need to be on my knees every day saying, God, take my life. Because I don't owe God anything. I have the stuff I need even if God were to turn away I can take care of myself and I even thought well maybe well what does exactly spit out of your mouth mean? like does that mean like I'm going to hell or does that mean maybe God just doesn't like me as much like no it's clear he says these aren't these aren't words you use to describe a saved person wretched pitiful Poor, blind. The song doesn't go, I once was blind, but now I'm blind. It, it doesn't work that way. The Bible is very clear. It says, if, if you are lukewarm, you're going to hell. And this scares me, because I struggle with this so much. Even with the little I do have, I cling on to it. I'm like, God, I, I can't let that go. It's hard. You want, you want me to give up what? Like, are you sure? Like, do I really have to? Can't I just work out some way where I can hold on to it? And we we like, you know, sometimes the scary thing is we like being lukewarm. It fits into our, our world, right? Where we have just enough God, just enough hot, to where, you know, we come to church, we hug each other. Amen. Say things like that. Clap at the end of every song. That's awesome. But then we have just enough cold. Where we live the, our lives the way we want to live. For teens. I love you guys. You know that. And I say this because I love you. But, but is it just that you guys? It's like, I just want just enough God to get my parents off my back. Make them leave me alone. Like, yeah, I'm going to church. Yeah, I'm going to Devo. It's like, God and I are good. But when it comes to sharing your faith at school, when it comes to standing up for your faith when no one else is looking, you know what, God? That's that's the line right there. For campus and singles, just enough God so that that brother, that sister, will notice you and think he's so spiritual. I want to marry him. I want to marry her. Just enough, God, so that that people will see. While they serve at church, they hand the communion baskets, but the second you go to work, you're all into the gossip. You're all into putting other people down. You don't share your faith. You're ashamed of it. For the marrieds, includes me too, just enough, God, to have a passable marriage. We don't get into fights because we're Christians. But when it comes to loving each other deeply, not just so we don't get in any fights, but so that you actually fight because you love each other. Well, God, you know, that's, that's too hard. I don't want to fight. It's draining. I don't want to do that. And for parents, just enough, God, so that your kids will behave. Go to Devo. That's what God says. It's in the Bible. Read it, kids. <laughs> You have to obey your your favorite scripture. Obey your mother and father in the Lord where this is right. Honor your parents, right? Like, that's, that's the scripture at home. But when it comes to you setting the example for your kids. When it comes to you setting the standard for what a disciple of Christ should be like. I don't have time for that. I have to provide for my family. I have to work. Like... I'll have my quiet time later. My, kid, my kids don't notice if I don't have my quiet time. It's okay. My kids don't notice that I don't pay attention in church. It's fine. Just a heads up, they do. Being in the team ministry, they do. The scary thing is that we hear this. And, you know, we, we've opened the... I've, I've done that point where, you know, they had that sermon and they're like, raise your hand if you think you're lukewarm. And I raise my hand and I'd be like, yes, I'm such a sinner. And then the second I leave the door... It's gone. That thought in my mind is gone. I'm no longer filled with the conviction of, I need to be on fire for God. I need to change. I need to give up everything. Instead, I'm just like, well, what's for lunch? We admit that we're lukewarm. And we do nothing about it. Now, if we we really understood how critical this is, if if we really looked at the Scripture, and we really believed... I am wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. If you were naked right now, you would not still sit in your seat. You would find the closest thing that you could and cover yourself. Because you understand the gravity of it. But we look at the scripture, we read, oh, yeah, that's what I am. I'm lukewarm. Okay, whatever. And then we don't make an effort to change, we don't make an effort to be better. See, the thing is, Jesus is like, I don't want you to be lukewarm. I don't want this for you. I don't want you to be that. Continuing on in verse 19. The Bible reads, Those whom I love, I rebuke in discipline. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Right, I skipped the part. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now Jesus isn't saying, like I want to spit you out of my mouth just because He wants to hurt your feelings. He's saying, like guys, you need to understand. God's saying, guys, you need to understand this. I love you. I don't, I don't want to do that. He's like, I'm standing. I'm knocking every day. Let me in. I want to be with you. I want to eat with you. I want to have a relationship with you. It's worth it. Trust me. It's worth it. Everything you have is, is garbage compared to what I can give you. And he says, like, like, I'm going to give you a seat on the throne next to me. Have you guys thought about that? That when you get to heaven, you get to sit next to God on His throne in heaven. That's like, you don't you're not going to be in the cheap seats in the back. You're going to be right in the front. On stage, backstage passes just for you. And the awesome thing is, right in the very next chapter, the Bible goes on to describe what that's going to be like. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing, These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, there were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. And the third had the face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And Jesus is offering you a front row seat to all of this. Jesus is saying... All that stuff you think is important is nothing. I can give you so much more. I want to be with you forever. I want you to spend eternity with me, sitting right next to me. I saved a seat just for you. Come be with me. As we close out, there's a scripture in Matthew chapter 13. Verse 44. The Bible reads, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. This is a heart that we need to have. The heart of joy. It's not, oh God, I guess if you really want me to give all that up, I will. In the story about Zacchaeus, you don't hear where Zacchaeus just kind of climbs down and is like, I guess, I guess I'll give some money to the poor and, yeah, I mean, I ripped you off, so here's that money back. Like, no, it says enjoy. He's like, here and now, everything I have, it's yours. Take it! I don't care because I have Jesus. And here, in Matthew, the story about this man, he's like, this treasure is so amazing. There's nothing else that compares to it. There's nothing else in this world. Nothing that I own. Nothing that I have that matters. Take it all away. I don't care. As long as I have that. As long as I have Jesus. As long as I'm right with God, nothing else matters. As long as I can be on fire, as long as I can give everything. And see, the thing about being on fire is it can be a different thing for all of us. But you know it when you see it. You can look on the field of any kind of sport and watch an athlete and you can know right away if they're playing with all of their heart or if they're just kind of there same way you can look at a Christian. Look at their life. And see, are they really giving everything to God? Is their whole life centered around Jesus? Or are they just kind of trying to coast into heaven? Because if you coast, you're not going to make it. Just letting you know. It's in the Bible. God has something far greater for us than we could ever achieve or obtain in this world. And if you're not a Christian here today, I challenge you. Make that decision to know God. He has so much for you. There's nothing in this world that compares. As we close here, I'm going to uh, put up a few um, things on the screen. And I'm going to play a song. And I'm going to ask that, that we take some time to pray through these, uh, these things here. So, pray. I want, I want us to take some time to pray individually. And ask God to reveal to you the areas in which you are lukewarm. To ask God to give you the strength in your areas of weakness. And to ask God to do whatever it takes to get you on fire for Him. So we're going to take a a few minutes right now. Take some time to pray on your own. Pray through these things. And I'll come back up and close us out in a prayer. God God, we are so humbled by you. We are humbled by how much you love us, humbled by how much you want to give us everything. God, and as we take this time to meditate, as we, as we come before you, God, imagining you on your throne and someday being able to be there with you, I pray that you help us to think about everything that's in our lives. Think about the things that we try to hold on to that don't really matter. The things that hold us back from being wholeheartedly devoted to You. I pray that You help us to let go of those things. To decide here and now that we will not be content with being lukewarm. We will not live our lives being mediocre. That we will give everything we have and everything that we are to You. I love You so much, God. Thank You for this opportunity to worship You this morning. I pray that You are pleased with our worship. I love You and I pray this in Your Son name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, church. It's been great being with you this morning. I pray that you have a great Sunday. Just a quick announcement. Uh, If you have children in Kids' Kingdom, we need you to immediately go and get your children out of the classes and uh, rescue our wonderful Kids' Kingdom workers. So immediately, please, parents, go and uh, take your children out of the Kids' Kingdom classes. And one final reminder, Elevate is this Saturday. We look forward to seeing you all here, 730, Saturday night. Invite your friends.